0: all right hello everyone and welcome back to the show jessica Stevens here your host of i just blank now what the podcast thank you thank you thank you so much for tuning in for another amazing now what wednesday i am so grateful to each and every single one of you who come back each and every week to hear these amazing stories from these awesome guests who have had life come at them and figure out what to do next and i'm especially grateful for all of our new listeners so if you are new here at the pod welcome so glad that you found us whether that be through a friend or a family member sent you an episode or randomly through the interwebs we connected i just love it either way so today is i got an amazing guest for you i'm just so excited for this conversation because i don't know about you but i love a story that has a a happy ending that's always great but just so much layers of of life and that is exactly what we're going to be hearing from nicole kerr today She's going to be sharing her, I just came back to life story, and it is, hold on, it's going to be fascinating. So before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit about Nicole so you can get to know her. She is an award-winning health expert and national bestseller. Nicole Kerr is the author of You Are Deadless, A Near-Death Experience Taught Me How to Fully Live and Not Fear Death. She is also the co-author of Eating the Rainbow, Lifelong Nutritional Wellness Without Lies, Hype, or Calculus. She has appeared on CNN, PBS, CBS, ABC, The Food Channel, and a host of other TV and radio shows to share her unique perspective on wellness, lifestyle, and nutrition. For the past 30 years, Nicole has worked in all sectors of society, including government, nonprofit, military, academia, healthcare institutions, hospitals, corporate settings, and as well as a private consultation. Through her career, she has focused on supporting people from every walk of life to make realistic, meaningful happy choices for a long life, health, and well-being. When she was a 19-year-old cadet at the United States Air Force Academy, Nicole would force to learn how to live and love differently, following a terrifying and transformative near-death experience. Her memory of the crash came back 20 years later, and it has taken Nicole almost another two decades to align her soul, spirit, mind, and body providing healing, certainty, and in a non-linear process. As a disabled veteran, Nicole is pursuing her vocation as an eternity advocate and public speaker. So without further ado, let's get to the now what? Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank, now what? Me too, friend, me too. I've had quite a few actually, and in the moment, I never knew what I was going to do next. Of course, I had to figure it out, sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own, I just blank, now what stories, so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Hey friend, did you just think to yourself? I just love this podcast. Now what? Well, I hope you do. And if you did, I got the answer. Become a patron and support the show. For just a $5 financial gift a month, you can access episodes early and without ads. Plus, you'll be entered to win our monthly Patreon giveaway, like books and courses from our guests and some fun merch. For just a $10 a month contribution, you'll become an all-access patron and also get bonus exclusive content from me and some of our guests. Behind the scenes, Q&A, bonus questions, all of it. So head over to patreon.com backslash I just blank and now what? Or click on the link in the show notes and become a patron today. Hi, Nicole.
1: Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much. I just love your show and your enthusiasm. You really are just such a radiant soul. And I just appreciate so much that you have me on your show today. I'm looking forward to talking to you about my story and coming back to life and what that journey has looked like for me. And maybe it can help your audience members as well.
0: Oh my goodness, Nicole! I just adore you too. When we first connected, and I heard like just like the tid, like tiniest little piece of your story, I'm like, oh my god, I I need to have you on your show on the show. People need to hear about this because people need to wake up and they need to start living. Yes, exactly. Because even though they may not have had their own near death experience, I feel people aren't really awake and alive in their life right now. And so I was just so inspired by you know your story and wanted to have you on the show. So. I'm going to shut up in a minute and let you do that. (laughs) But here's what I love to ask guests off the top. Obviously, I just read your amazing bios and all your accolades and all the things that you have accomplished in life and and all the cool stuff. But I always like to ask guests, like, what do you want people to actually know about you? Like, what is something about Nicole that isn't written in in the bio, but you would really love for people to know?
1: You know, I think what I really want you to know is that I, the book that I wrote, the most important credential that I think any of us have is BTDT, been there, done that. And I come from that place. When I want to see a therapist, I had an eating disorder. I want someone that has had that experience because then they can have empathy, sympathy, compassion. And when I came back from being dead, okay, I and everyone else who's had an NDE, you are transformed. Whether or not you're aware of it or not, you come back transformed. So I came back a different person. I didn't come back to continue being a people pleaser for my family. I had to let go and unravel all those identities that I, those, those wonderful, you know, awards I got and all this kind of stuff. I had to let all of that go and get to my true essence. And that is that I and everyone else are these beautiful souls. And when we die, that's the part of us that continues to live on. So I just want people to know, been there, done that. I don't want you to have to have an NDE. I hope you can gain from what I'm saying today, some, maybe some experience, strength, hope, and some tips to help you on your journey of literally a spiritual transformative experience, because it's time for people to start waking up and becoming conscious of what their thoughts and actions and behaviors are doing, not only to themselves, but to others, the planet and
0: all sentient beings. Oh my gosh. So excited (laughs) to hear the story. Okay. So let's rewind the tape. Take us back to teenage Nicole. Who were you? What was life like? How did you get enrolled in the Air Force?
1: You know, the military was totally my dad's idea. And I'm one of four children, the second. And I would tell you, I wanted to be my dad's favorite. Okay. I wanted the love. We all do. We want the love, the attention, you yeah, know, this girl right here. Yeah, yeah, Yep. So, you know, when he, he graduated from the Academy and he went into the Marine Corps and he was very much an advocate of all of us, except for my older sister going into the military. So I was going to be like, I'm going to do this. I'm really going to show him I can do this. He's going to be so proud of me. And because they had just recently admitted women. I know this predates you probably, but but the first class that graduated with women in all the service academies was 1980. So my class was 86. So I was right there at the beginning. And I thought, OK, I'm going to just apply and see what happens Well, you have to understand, I did not grow up wanting to fly airplanes and just being in the military in general, that was never a goal of mine. I was a model. I was in junior achievement. I headed up a team board. I did all these activities. I was not a varsity athlete at all. You know, playing racquetball or softball was about the extent of my athletic career. And so here I am Going through this testing. And then, I, you know, my senior year, I get a call from the principal's office saying, Nicole, your representative uh, from the state of Mississippi is on the phone. And he said, Congratulations, you've been accepted at the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. And I just went, Excuse my language. Oh, shit. Now I got to go. Now I, I I can't let him down. I can't let, I, you know, my family down. And all these people in my class are like, Woohoo, Nicole, I didn't even know you wanted to go. And I'm like, I just didn't didn't. think it was, I just really didn't think I'd get in, you know? Well, when I got out to boot camp, I knew this was not for me, okay? I mean, it is unfortunately a very abusive environment, especially as a newbie going in. And, you know, as a woman, you also experience, and not to say that men don't either, but sexual abuse as well is highly prevalent. And so three weeks in, I'll never forget it. We got a three minute phone call back home and my mother answered the phone and I proceeded to cry and hyperventilate. I didn't get one word out of my mouth and the whole three minutes I cried. And so the commander came in, hung up the phone, told me to sit over there and get my act together. And I didn't realize till decades later, that was my first panic attack. Okay, because I needed my mother to say, Nicole, what's wrong If you wanna quit, you have our permission. It's okay. If it's too much, it's not what you thought. If you're not happy, you can quit. You have our permission. And I didn't get that. I didn't get anything remotely like that. In fact, she told me years later, I looked at your father and said, well, what have we done to her? He's like, oh, she'll be fine. Well, I was anything but fine. I went from there to remedial. Okay. One-on-one for the rest. They took me away from my squadron because I was not performing well and said, you're going to have one-on-one for the next three weeks. And it was just hell. It was just pure hell. But I gritted it through my resilience i just pushed through and i got i got through it and i got through my first year and i started my second year still knowing that i don't want to be here it's only getting harder i'm taking classes i hate engineering calculus organic chemistry these are things i don't even remotely like i've never used calculus 3 in my life never and and so i'm taking subjects i don't enjoy so, I'm not doing well academically. I'm barely making it. And everything gets harder as you go up every year. So, I still couldn't quit. I still couldn't voice the truth, which is I've made a mistake. This is not the correct place for me. And I need to leave. So, what happened to get me out of it at a soul level was unfortunately. This car crash, which happened the beginning of my sophomore year. This was a 1965 red Corvette convertible. It did not have seatbelts. And we were starting off the year with a big squadron party at a park outside the academy. I was one of the last to leave. I asked a senior for a ride back. I did not know him very well at all. And I just wanted to ride back to the academy. And so he had a different agenda. He had been drinking most of the day, as a lot of the cadets had been. And he wanted to stop at a bar and have a couple more beers. And then he wanted to go make out, you know, stop the car and watch the sunset at the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You have to understand, I grew up in Mississippi. I had never been on a date. My dad did not see anything productive in dating. Okay. So I never had a date. And now I'm going to school with 4,000 guys. Okay. So his rules were no smoking, no drinking, and no dating cadets. And so I was like, the heck with this? I'm tired of being a good girl. I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to have some fun. So I had a couple of beers, I had a cigarette. And then when he wanted to make out, I was like, no, got to draw the line there. And I don't even know you. So let's get back on the road and get going because we had a curfew. And the last thing I remembered was getting back on the road. That was it. And then the next thing I knew, I woke up in the ICU at Penrose Community Hospital. That blank space that I lost I didn't get back for 19 years. From what happened from the moment we got back on the road to waking up in the ICU, my memory went dark for that entire time. The way I've been able to piece this together is A, my memory came back 19 years later while I was working at the CDC. B, I have I went and visited all of my, I call them my angels, the primary surgeon, uh, the EMT that found me, and my nurse and I interviewed them. So they're a chapter in my book. And I put got the district attorney's report, uh, because he was found guilty of vehicular assault and drug driving. And so I, I, I put it all together in the book. So I have it in detail. But the most important thing was my memory coming back 19 years later. But the paramedic actually came and visited me in the hospital 10 weeks and to the accident. So after the accident, I was in the hospital for four months, seven weeks in ICU, six major surgeries. I had amputated my left foot, I severed my right wrist, I had broken my pelvis on both sides. I had a fourth degree laceration between my anal and sphincter muscle. I had a severe road burn from skidding on the pavement, But when he got to the scene, which was some bystanders in a house nearby heard the crash, we hit a boulder, the car flipped over, we both flew out, I flew into a ditch, they came out, they looked at us both, they couldn't get any vitals on me, went inside, got a blanket and covered me up, called 911. So when the EMT got there, um, it took between 10 and 13 minutes. So I was, quote, clinically dead that long. Now, when John, the EMT, took the blanket off of me, he couldn't get any vitals either. So he did something called a sternal knuckle rub, which in the healthcare industry is designed to, yeah, is designed to elicit pain in the body. So the only response he got was my right eye flickered and my pupil dilated. Now, have you heard of the saying, Jessica, our eyes are the window? to our soul? Yes. (laughs) At that precise moment, my soul, which had flown out of my body when I went up through the windshield and into the air before I hit the ground, my soul flew off. An angel came down and picked me up and we all went off to the other side. Okay. Heaven, whatever you want to call it. So I didn't actually hit the ground. My spirit left before that. But at that moment, my soul came back in through my eye. And he was then able to get a blood pressure on me of 60 over zero, which is barely alive, okay? 120 over 80 is is normal, right? So at that point, it was just a matter of keeping me alive. They got me into the ambulance, they were doing CPR the whole way, got me to the nearest hospital, which was not equipped to handle trauma, And they proceeded to go into the OR that night to just try to stabilize me. It took them the entire night, a team of surgeons to stabilize me. And when I woke up the next morning, I, I couldn't, I didn't know where I was my commander and my squadron um, commander, and my AOC came into the room and told me what happened. I was in this wreck and blah, blah, blah. And the first thing I said was don't tell my dad, he'll kill me. That's, That's my immediate reaction. Okay, how much I feared my father. And this is the crux of everything in my life is how much fear I have lived with my entire life. Fear of my father, fear of the concept of God that I was raised with, fear of failing, fear of just so much of that was running my nervous system. And when fear is running your nervous system, you're never going to have clarity. And in order to gain your clarity, you got to address your fears. And it's so ironic that on the other side, when my memory came back, I was told by my angel, your mission is to tell people not to be afraid of death. Because when I died at 19, I was afraid of death. The concept of God that I had back then was if you disobeyed, you would be punished, especially Southern Baptist and Lutheran, Southern Baptist is, you know, the wrath of God is going to come upon you, you're going to hell, you know, and I want to tell people right off right now, my belief system is when people say, is there a hell, I say, hell, no, there is not hell is on earth, it is a man made situation that we have created. And what I realized is that I did not want to come back when I was on the other side, when they told me, I, when my angel told me, you're going to go back, I could see my body in the ditch. Cause you have to remember I'm in a soul form now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I could see myself down there. And I was like, I don't want to go back in that body. First of all, physically, it's going to be very painful and a lot of suffering. Second yeah. of all, I'm going to go have to live with my mother and dad again. Okay. And they are very conservative. I would say now they're religious addicts, but it is my dad being very controlling dogmatically positioning his way or the highway. I'm like, I, I, I don't want to go live back in that environment, but I had no choice. I couldn't walk. I couldn't go to the bathroom on my own. I was back to infancy. So imagine a 19 year old girl, you know, having to go back home and have to learn to walk again to to basically grow up again. And so I did rehab for a whole year, I did learn to walk again, I had in one of my operations to have emergency surgery. That was my second near death experience where I coded, they have in hospitals, you'll hear code blue. Mm -hmm. And that means that you've gone into rest, you're going into cardiac arrest, and that you are all the bells and whistles go off that you're flatlining. Okay. So that happened in the OR when they were trying to perform a colostomy on me and they actually lost me. They called the time of death. They went and told my parents, Nicole's passed away. We're sorry. We could not save her. And I once again, left my body. I was going back to that light. And that was the only thing that I remembered those 19 years were bright white lights And I asked my surgeon, I said, could those have been the operating room lights that maybe she goes, Nicole, you were unconscious the entire time. It is not that it is something um, supernatural, spiritual, whatever you want to call it. You had several near death experiences during the four months you were in that hospital. And she said, every time I just had to put my hands up in the air and just say, okay, whatever happens, because I, as your doctor was, it was beyond my control so um that was the second NDE where I left my body now in the book I call him Casper the friendly ghost the angel that saved me last August after the book was published Jessica okay I'm sitting at my computer and I start smelling cigar smoke and I'm going where is this coming from and then I hear this voice Nicole and I'm like Where is that coming from? And it turns out it's my grandfather on my father's side who passed away at age 58, the exact age that I was in August. He died mid-August and he's getting a hold of me in mid-August. And he said, now it's time for you to know that I am your Casper, the friendly ghost. It was me who came down to save you. And he said, I saw all the abuse that was going on with you at the academy. I saw how you were so unhappy and you were struggling. And I came to take you away from all of that. And I was blown away because my grandfather in his earthly life was an alcoholic. And the guy that was driving the car turned out he was an alcoholic. Okay, so it was. It was just the irony of it. I, and I had heard people with near-death experiences, a lot of them do see deceased loved ones when they cross over, but I had never had that happen to me. And so here it comes right after I published the book and I'm just going, oh, my stars, you know, so this, this unfolding keeps happening. We're all on a journey. Okay. And it doesn't have an endpoint. It keeps evolving. And the third near-death experience I had was about a month later, my lungs started filling up with fluid and they were trying to drain them with these huge needles off the, you know, from my backside, they, they drain off the fluid, they would fill up again. So in essence, I was suffocating and I kept thinking they were playing around with my oxygen and I was terrified. And this was going on for several minutes and I was getting more panicky and once again, loved my body because I couldn't handle this feeling of drowning. So the doctor said, we have one more option. We're going to give her a diuretic. If that doesn't work, she's going to suffocate to death. And that's when I went, I'm out of here. (laughs) So they did give me, they did give me the diuretic. I peed off three quarts of fluid. That's how much fluid I had in me. And, and once again, James, that's the name of my grandfather uh, and my angel, Uh, Angel James came back and said, no, you're not flying back to the other side. You're getting back in your body because you have a mission. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Uh, I didn't know what the mission was. Then it came 19 years later. But my mission now, I really do know, is to tell people it's taken me four decades to actually understand what really is a quite simple message to not be afraid of death and to ask the angels
0: for help. Oh my goodness. All right. We're going we're gonna to take a moment here. <laughs> yeah. That's like, a big graph. That's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. And that's um, not,
1: that's not dealing with mental health and all the PTSD and the eating disorder because my parents had what they said, Nicole needs psychiatric and uh, psychological help. She's been through a massive trauma. She now has a lot of limitations in her life that she never had before. She's got body image issues and all this stuff. So my mother looked at the doctor and said, Jesus is our psychiatrist. She's going to be just fine. And I will tell you, Jessica, I was not fine. A year later, once I had left my parents and moved in with my sister, I developed back in the eighties, it was called compulsive overeating. It's now known as binge eating disorder. I lived with that for 20 years, the shame of that, the self hate, all of that that goes along. And that's one of the reasons I went into nutrition as a major was I thought I could fix myself. If I just knew enough about eating, I could stop myself from binge eating. And of course that's not true. And it took me two decades to reconcile and to come to peace with what the self-hate was really about and to replace it with
0: self-love. Okay. Another deep (laughs) breath. What was the time span from the accident to that final near-death experience that you mentioned? So I was in the hospital for four
1: months. So that would have been 60 days, maybe.
0: Okay. And then after that final near death experience with the fluid in your lungs. Then you were in the hospital for a lot longer still recovering. And then you were able to go home after four months.
1: I had to have more surgeries. They had to take my gallbladder out because the, I developed gallstones from all the medications. You know, I had 64 pints of blood transfused. That's like redoing your body. What six times. Don't we normally have between eight to twelve pints? Yeah, sure. sure. So okay, yeah. yeah so I, I just I had a lot. Of, I'd start getting better, and then I would tank. I'd start mm-hmm. getting better, and then I would tank. And so it was just you know, it, it was just trying. I had to have my foot reattached. They had to do skin grafts. I had you know my arm. They had to uh, do surgery on, and they had to put a device to try to get it um, put back together again. So I had a lot of different surgeries during that time. And
0: they all had to be spaced to coincide with me staying stable. So you're now out of the hospital, you've gone into, you know, physical therapy, you learn how to walk again, you're living with your parents, finally move out. And you start living, living this new version of life for you. Where did you start? What was your driving force to keep going? Because mentally, I can't even imagine what you were under you know, I didn't think about it. I
1: didn't feel it. And I didn't think about it. And that's what we do with emotions. When we have trauma, we don't we just push them down. And that's why I'm such an advocate for emotional well being and getting the help that you need, whether it is through therapy, that is one of the things that I got into, that helped me find myself, find my happiness and joy was I had to get into therapy and different forms of therapy that have evolved, you know, and I've gone in and out of therapy my entire 40 years here since the car crash. And I will tell you, writing this book was therapeutic for me mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, but it was hard. It, it was also very triggering. And then I did the audio version earlier this year, and it is a whole different way when you are actually reading your story And then I narrated it myself. And then to listen to myself, tell my story, I had to go back into therapy again, because I was like, oh, my God, it really sunk in in a different way just what I had been through in my life and how I kept pushing myself because I didn't know any better. And I had a family who was about letting the past go and just get on with the future, get an education. So I started out at a community college to see if my brain would even work right. Mm -hmm. And then I was living with my sister who didn't get a roommate. She got a traumatized person who didn't know how to cope. So, you know, our relationship fractured as a result of that. And, you know, it's been extremely hard because my family thought that if I was physically okay, then I was mentally okay. And I was spiritually okay. And that is not true at all. And that is one mistake uh, many people make that if you look okay on the outside, then you're okay on the inside. And no, that's not true. So Mm -hmm. I, I just kind of did... The next thing, go to school, get a degree. I got an eating disorder now. I don't even know what it is. I don't know why I'm doing this. I keep telling myself every morning I'm not going to binge. And I do. I was lonely. I felt empty. I couldn't remember what happened. And so I just did life like I was supposed to. You go to school, you graduate, you get a job, you get a boyfriend. I could never maintain a relationship. And I didn't understand why until... My memory came back because I thought if a guy got angry at me, that something terrible would happen. So I, the people pleasing kicked into high gear when I was dating, I would please the guy do whatever he wanted, and was not being honest and true to myself. So the relationships never worked out. So it when my memory came back, that's when my healing really accelerated, and I really could understand now why things were happening. Because when we don't have in our minds, if we can't figure out why something is going on, it is really frustrating. It's discouraging. It you, you stay in this negative loop, and you just keep doing the same things, and you wind up, ironically, sabotaging yourself.
0: Yeah the brain The brain's job is to like get to completion. It is like, it's a computer, it's reading data. It needs to finish this task, right? And yours was just looping and looping and looping and not actually getting to a point. So how old were you when your memory came back?
1: Okay. So that was late thirties. Late thirties. And where were you in your life
0: when this happened?
1: I was at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was going to work and I stopped at Starbucks. I got my regular drink, And as soon as I took a sip and it was not Starbucks or the caffeine that the memory came back. So don't don't go out thinking that that's going to Starbucks thinking your memory is going to come back from some trauma. If you have coffee, I remembered exactly how I was sitting in the car and I never could figure out how I had the injuries I did. But what happened was I had one foot up on the dashboard and the other foot I crossed over. A lot of times we'll sit that way. You know, you just put your feet on the dashboard or whatever. So that's how I was sitting my head. I was back just enjoying the the ride back. And then all of a sudden I went butt up through the windshield and I can remember it exactly. And I detail it in the book. It felt like you're in a -a tilt-a-whirl And I remember freezing. I said, I'm not going to go back to work. I'm going to go to my chiropractor and a body healer. And I sat there at his office all day because he didn't have an opening. And when he finally got to me, he said, Nicole, these are called repressed memories. And he said, your body is now releasing the trauma and the memories for you to heal. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This has taken 19, 20 years to do this? What gives? What is the reason behind that? And he said, first of all, you finally feel safe enough. The body has to feel safe in order for this to come out. Otherwise, you would be so overwhelmed. You probably become schizophrenic. You really would. You wouldn't mentally know how to process it all. And second of all, you have support. Okay, you have built a support network over the last 20 years you've gone to therapy, you have gotten your group, you know, you've gotten the support you need, you realize that your parents, and your family are not necessarily the people to go to, to support you, you've developed friends, you've developed, you know, uh, a healthcare team, that really has been supporting you and your body. And that and I will say now, my guides, we all have spirit guides, um, my guides, were not going to let me get out of this lifetime without remembering this, because this is what I came in for. And when I came back, it was not about connecting with my family again, it was not about, you know, staying a dietitian or any of these things that I had done in the past, it was to get this mission and message out to people to not be afraid of death because so many people are. And your concept or beliefs about God shape your relationship with death. And so many people, especially in organized religions where God is presented duality, he's loving, he's kind, he's protective, he's always going to be there And then on the other hand, here are all these rules, including the 10 commandments. But then every church organized religious church has their own additional rules that if you break these, you are a bad person. You're a sinner. You're condemned to hell. All these negatives, okay, that induce fear. So you grow up your whole life with fear running in your nervous system. That's that amygdala, those two little almond shaped organs right back here fight, flight, or freeze. That is a way that you learn to live is it's the sympathetic way. Okay. And fight, flight, or freeze. You're always in it. That is the worst place to be making decisions from because you have no clarity. You have got to get up here in your prefrontal cortex, which is where your executive decision-making comes in. That parasympathetic nervous system is running, where you can rest and digest and relax, okay, and make a informed decision. But most of us, if we're in a fear loop, we're making decisions from back here, which are reactive, and they're not in our highest and greatest good. And that's what I realized is that that's where I was coming from most of my life was I was making decisions based in a, a fear state. And when I got to CDC, I felt I finally had security, I had safety, I had a government job, I had my own house, I had a big car, you know, in case anybody hit me, I was going to have plenty of protection. And I had this illusion that if I could control my life, that I would be okay. And it wasn't true. And all it did was set me up to worry more about things. And worry goes directly with fear, right? So my body's nervous system just stayed in that loop. And that created more anxiety, more depression, and more uh, of the heightenment or the complexity of PTSD, which I didn't get diagnosed with till three years ago. They have misdiagnosed me,
0: Jessica, for 36 years. How could anyone not realize that you had PTSD from almost, well, actually dying? Yeah.
1: Well, it's amazing to me. I, I just, I, I don't get it either. They would just say you have clinical depression or you're highly anxious person, you know, and the treatment for PTSD is very different from just being diagnosed as anxious or depressed. Okay. So, yeah. So you can see that, you know, you put that in and then you put an element called soul loss in just like we have physical injuries, we have physical wounds, we have mental wounds, the PTSD, we have soul wounds as well. And that is a piece that people do not talk about. But when you've had trauma, your soul can actually fragment and it does that in order to protect you. But what you have to remember is you have to get those soul pieces back to in for your soul to be whole again in order to be in alignment in order for you to really feel a sense
0: of joy and happiness and fulfillment. Do you think because you had multiple near-death experiences where your soul left you and came back and left you and came back that like pieces of it didn't come back all the time and there so there were like these fragments kind of floating out there with Casper? Yes. Yes. And
1: when I did, I actually enlisted the help of a shaman when I was in, I lived in Hawaii for 27 years uh, in 2019 and did what we call a, a soul retrieval. And he said, he's never seen anything like this before, but I actually had like a a V, a lightning bolt that, that was like a V and my soul just kept going in and out like this because I had my energy body was not sewn all the way Up And we all have an energy body. Okay, so mine was wide open. And that's why I kept wanting to leave all the time. So he worked with me to help sew that up so that I could contain it and then pull back those pieces and have my soul together and to remember that now, okay, I have a second chance, I have an opportunity now to enjoy the beauty of this earth and and so many wonderful things to reprogram my brain with the different instead of being in fear all the time, to be more in gratitude and to be knowing that I, I do have a purpose, we all have a purpose, but mine specifically has a different Element to it. Okay. And so a specific element to it. So I I want people to understand that it's a real thing. Even though the spiritual realm, we can't see it, there is a real thing called soul loss, and that that can cause people to actually want to not be here anymore. In fact, that's one of the, the first symptoms. There's actually three symptoms to soul loss. And the first one is, I don't want to be here. So when you talk to someone and they they're like, I just don't want to be here. I knew when I my memory came back, I didn't want to come back and be on earth anymore. I knew there was just going to be too much pain and suffering. The second symptom is this low-level, consistent feeling that something is missing. Okay. And it's interesting to note that many compulsive behaviors and addictions fall into the statement. And for me, I can now clearly see the link between my compulsive eating and my feeling of emptiness. I did not connect with God, my soul, my the spiritual realm during those 20 years that my memory, I kept looking, I went to different churches, and then I just gave up. And it was just all about me just trying to plow through life and keep myself safe. And then the third one is you can't get over something. Okay, and that's, I just felt stuck with my chronic health conditions and this hypervigilance that was always going on and this needing to be safe. So those are three criteria, three symptoms that if you're experiencing any of those, maybe you should seek out a shaman or a, you know, somebody that does, what is it when you take someone back in time, past life, uh, past life regression or hypnosis or anything like that, that can help you with that. But you know, neglecting that soul part is like you're neglecting that soul wound. So you still have a wound there that needs healing. And so I put that out there so that people understand that that is just as important as healing from a physical wound and a mental wound. Wow. Okay. So, Nicole,
0: so many, so many things. I know, I I get off on so many trajectories. I mean, there's a lot in this book. Let me tell you. There is a lot. There is a lot. So when we say... I just came back to life. Now what? As your title. At what moment do you think you actually came back to life? Is it when you woke up in the hospital those multiple times? Or do you think it was when you got your memories back? Or do you think it's when your soul finally returned to your body and you actually knew what your purpose was?
1: I will say it's all three. I came back to physical life when I woke up. In the hospital i came back to mental health when i started addressing the emotional wounds and and, and started dealing with the eating disorder and that 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 piece of it mm-hmm. and then the spiritual i came back to life spiritually when i had the soul retrieval and i really i had already known the concept of god that i grew up with wasn't the concept that i was now believing in. But when I did the soul retrieval, that aligned me and I knew without a doubt that God is just love there, period. And there's nowhere that God is not. And 100%, this is my experience, but that that there's no judgment when you're on the other side. And I hope people really get that because when you're judging yourself, you can't love yourself but when you go to the other side, all this bit about being judged and all this. Judgment day, yeah. Yeah, it's not, that's not true. And you're never alone, okay? There's a whole realm on the other side, angels, spirits, guides that are there with us every day. We just have to acknowledge it, start having a relationship with them and ask them for help. So once that part of me switched on, I now talk to my angels every day. I talk to my guides, you know, I check in with my emotions. I try to take care of myself physically, you know, even though that still is a challenge for me, but you know, I've, I decided a couple of years ago to go on medication, you know, and I've struggled off and on with that for years, but you know, it's, it's all personal choices, but I have to keep reevaluating and evolving with those three, because that's what we're here to do is to evolve our souls.
0: I love it. Oh my goodness. See guys, everyone, I told you this today's story was going to (laughs) be so many layers of so many layers of life and living and, and how are you showing up in your life in different ways and what could be preventing you from actually, you know, being your true self. So Nicole, tell us a little bit more about the book. Okay. So the book
1: is You Are Deathless. And this took me 13 years to write. Okay. And that was not an easy process because I grew up, I was, you know, on the school newspaper, I was an editor and all that kind of stuff. But when I went to CDC, you have to write very scientifically. Okay. And writing this kind of book, was personal it it's authentic it's my feelings I, I discussed my eating disorder in this book you know I put it all out there and it really was hard to do because it's showing all of my uh what you're All my stuff. Yeah. And people don't people like to present an image that looks a certain way, you know, and think, oh, she's got it all together and blah, blah, blah. And what I'm telling you is the truth is this healing journey has not been an easy journey for me, how I got to where I am today, the path that I have been down to get here, and how at age 40, I finally was able to find the man, my soulmate, he really is, you know, and it was, amazing because i dedicated the book to him and i said this man saw in me what i couldn't see in myself at the time and he held that vision until one day i could see it and then i was finally able to see it and i internalized that and that is what i love about him is that he has been there for me and could see what i have been going through and still helps me to this day Uh, knowing that I have chronic health conditions and that I deal with mental illness and all these other issues and accepts me and loves me for who I am. Unconditional love. I really do feel like that. And it took me a a long time and I gotten to the point where I'm never going to meet anybody that's going to want to
0: deal with "With all of this. this.
1: Yeah. 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 But, and I know I want to tell your audience that if you have multiple things going on, there are people out there that will love you with all of that because they see your spirit. That's what they see in you. They're your soul. That's what they fall in love with. And that soul is perfect. So, you know, marrying him and, and, and we've been together almost 20 years now has just been an amazing journey. And to have someone that has your back, you know, has really transformed me in knowing that I don't have to do everything by myself anymore. And that was a belief system that I had to let go of, you know, is that I can't ask for help anymore, or that I can't burden anybody or any of those, uh, I'm not worthy, uh, those low vibration belief systems. They're just not true.
0: Love it. I'm so happy that you are happy and that you found love and that your memory came back so that your brain could function and you truly find your purpose. Nicole, this conversation has been fire. Let me tell you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited for the launch of your book and all the things that you're going to be doing now with it. And I know you're going to help so, so many people. So where can people find you? Where do you like to hang out? Uh, come
1: through my website, nicolecur.com, And okay. I've got information on my book there. I've got uh podcast. I've got blogs. I, you know, have a contact that you can actually get in touch with me. I respond to every piece of mail that I get. I am on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. You can find me on those different platforms, social media platforms. And, but most of all, I would love for you to put this book into your book club if you are a member of a book club i want us to be talking about the positivity of death and i talk not only about my two messages but i add the international association of near-death studies they have 10 common themes that near-death experiencers experience and i i put them out there for you but here they all are they're in the book and each chapter is labeled one But there are things such as we are not judged, we're never alone, love is all that matters and is the source of all that exists. I mean, and everyone and everything is connected. We are all energy. When we die and our physical body, our our soul exits, that's energy. And we, at the end of the day, it's all about love and oneness. We are a collective consciousness of one.
0: Well, Nicole, I got to say, you are a ball of energy. (laughs) And I'm so grateful for you you for coming on the show. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Okay, everybody, that is it for us this week. I know it was a big one. It's going to take a little time to process this one. Go back and re-listen to it if you need to, because I think I do. Thank you, Nicole, so much for joining us. Hey, everybody, if this episode resonated with you, please give it a like, a share. Don't forget to subscribe. Or if you know someone who... Okay, maybe not be going through something similar, but is feeling, as Nicole said, those three things and not feeling alive, please, please, please share this episode with them. It just may help them figure out their very own now what. All right, that's it for us this week and we'll be back for another episode next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What?